0: Amen. If you can just hold on to that mic for a a minute, Craig, because someone's going to be reading for me. So, uh, yeah. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Good to see everyone here today. Everyone's in good voice today. It was uh, wonderful to hear everybody just singing in praise and worship. Well, here we are. It's a beautiful sunny morning after a very wet and rainy night. And. I am carrying on from last week, if you could put my slides up, Chris, please, um, on the the account in the Bible, or the story in the Bible, of Elijah, and last week, I looked at his incredible encounter on Mount Carmel, the showdown uh, between God and the prophets of Baal, and uh, we looked at that story last week. And it's an incredible, incredible story. And there's just a couple of things I want to remind us of um, from last week. This particular scripture, first of all, when Elijah goes to the people and says, How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. If Baal is God, follow him. And we talked about how there can be things in our lives that we can rely on other than God, that we may not worship idols in the way that they did then, but we can put our hope and trust in other things And not in God. Um, As um, Craig explained, Cornerstone, that line, I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly trust in Jesus' name. We can put our hope and expectation in things that aren't God, and that was the challenge from last week. And the quote in the middle there isn't from me. Some of you who were here may remember. Ben gave a prophetic word, and amongst it was this line, which really impacted, I know many, many people, you cannot broaden a narrow path. That was God's word last week. You cannot broaden a narrow path. I just wanted to remind us of that again. So we looked at stepping up, who are we putting our trust in, and then stepping out. Um, as Elijah did, he stepped out, he gave evidence of who God was, and how that for us is still a challenge today. Where are we stepping out? Where are we giving evidence of who God is? So that is what we looked at last week. David Matthews, I have a different David this time, is gonna come now and read the rest of the story to us and we can have a look at the aftermath of the uh, showdown on Mount Carmel. So David, come and read.
1: So the reading uh, starts in 1 Kings 19, 1 Kings 18, verse 42, and continues into the following chapter. So Ahab went off to eat and drink, but Elijah climbed to the top of Carmel, bent down to the ground, and put his face between his knees. Go and look toward the sea, he told his servant. And he went up and looked. There is nothing there, he said. Seven times, Elijah said, go back. The seventh time, the servant reported, a cloud as small as a man's hand is rising from the sea. So Elijah said, go and tell Ahab. Hitch up your chariot and go down before the rain stops you. Meanwhile, the sky grew black with clouds, the wind rose, a heavy rain started falling and Ahab rode off to Jezreel. The power of the Lord came on Elijah and tucking his cloak into his belt, he ran ahead of Ahab all the way to Jezreel. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a message to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, He left his servant there, while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life, I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind Tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. The Lord said to him, go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazael, king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel, and anoint Elisha son of shaphat from abel Mahola, to succeed you as prophet
0: amen thank you david father we thank you for your word to us we thank you that it is a living word and speaks to us afresh every day. So, Father, I pray as we look at your word now, Lord, we would have that revelation in our hearts, God. Will you come and speak to us afresh this morning, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. So we begin the uh, story at this point with Elijah waiting for rain we began the last um, time last week when we looked at this story where we see that Elijah says that there will neither be rain or dew on the land except at his word. And we're now in the third year of drought. And he says that if he reveals that the Lord is God, that rain will come. And rain in the scriptures is a clear sign of God's blessing. And as I was looking at some of the scriptures on this, I actually kind of had two reasons as a bit of an introduction why I wanted to just show us these scriptures this morning. This is back in Deuteronomy where God declares the blessings of a nation that follow him. And these, I hope, will be familiar words to us. We'll be blessed in the city, blessed in the country. The fruit of the womb will be blessed, the crops, the land, the basket. All these blessings come as a result of following the Lord. And it then goes on to say, The Lord will open the heavens, the storehouse of his bounty, to send rain on your land in season. And to bless all the work of your hands. Rain indeed is a blessing from God. But as I was looking into these words this morning, I just want to mention them. Because for a nation, it's a bit of an important week for us, isn't it? With the different votes that are happening in the House of Commons this week. And as I've been looking at these scriptures, these have been really a prayer that I've been praying. You will lend to many nations, but will borrow from none the Lord will make you the head and not the tail. If you pay attention to the commands of the Lord God that I give you this day and carefully follow them, you will always be at the top, never at the bottom. What a true word that is for a nation who follows God. And that has been kind of my prayer this week, that we will be the head and not the tail. But that, of course, is conditional in following the Lord and following the Lord. And it's so important that we continue to pray for our nation this time. Um, We were praying uh, on Thursday morning. A group of ladies come together and pray. And I think it was Joan that said, gosh, we have been praying for the nation a lot lately. And we really have. And it's so important, isn't it? And evidence of blessing of God is seen in our weather. We might not like it, (laughs) but rain is evidence of the blessing of God. And if you um, carry on and look at the scriptures in this, Solomon, as he dedicates the temple, directly attributes rain or lack of rain to the people's sin. You can see here, when the heavens are shut up and there is no rain because your people have sinned against you, when they pray towards this place, and give praise to your name and turn from their sin because you've afflicted them please hear from heaven and forgive teach them the right way to live send rain on the land you gave your people for an inheritance rain is the sign of blessing and the lord's response that we can read in chronicles it's very clear that rain is from god he is the one who is in charge of our weather. We may have more understanding now as to how it works, but God is in control, amen? And rain is a sign of blessing. So at the point of the story where we now rejoin it, Elijah is waiting for the rain. He is waiting for the rain to come. And um, we don't know exactly from the story how long he was waiting. And it was interesting, some of the prayers that came out of what we sang this morning about strength arising when we wait upon God. Ben was praying about spiritual muscle when we wait upon God. And Elijah is waiting for God to fulfill his promise. He promises rain. He promises rain to come on the land. How many people here are still waiting for God's promises to be fulfilled in their lives? Is there anyone here? Yes. Who are still waiting for God's promises to be fulfilled? How many of us like waiting? No, <laughs> we don't. Um, a couple of weeks ago at the prayer meeting, Maggie was leading. And um, she had pieces of paper with different scriptures on. And they were kind of handed out. And um, I picked up a piece and I deliberately took one from the middle so that I couldn't see what the scriptures were. And all of my scriptures were about waiting. And boy, was I unhappy. I seriously, I looked at this and was like, no, don't... Scriptures on waiting. I don't want to wait. I've had it with waiting. I've been waiting a long time for some of these things. And in fact, I don't know if you remember, Maggie, apologies. I don't think I prayed anything. Everyone else was praying real meaningful things out of the scriptures they had. But I was just annoyed. I was just, Lord, I can't, I'm just so annoyed. I don't want to wait. I don't want to wait. And I just had this internal battle of, Lord, waiting is hard. Waiting is hard. This scripture from 1 Peter oh dear the <laughs> the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness I have learned that my understanding of slowness and God's is not the same <laughs> it's not the same but I have to bring myself in line with him because if I don't I just get frustrated and bad-tempered as happened in the prayer meeting I just sat there in a ball of frustration not able to pray a word because waiting can be hard but if we think life has to run on our timetable and not God's we're in trouble aren't we and it really does come down to trust and I love this example from Elijah because he really has laid it all out in this incredible encounter on Mount Carmel. And now it's time for God to show up again. And what does Elijah do? His face is to the ground. His face is to the ground the whole time. And he sends his servant off to have a look. Has he moved yet? Is something happening? Is there a sign? And finally, seven times, the perfect number, God's perfect timing, he comes back with the report that it's a cloud, um, a cloud the size of a man's heart. Sometimes waiting can be hard, but we need to trust that God is in control. And if ever there was a good definition of FaceTime, then this is it, I think. Because Elijah's focus isn't on the situation, it's on God. He keeps his focus on God. And while we're looking at the situation and wanting the situation to change, we can get weary. We can get frustrated. But if our focus is just on him, then that's a better place to be, isn't it? And that's what we see here. So we need to persevere. We need to carry on. We need to step on. God isn't slow. Hallelujah. So the rain comes, and uh, we have this wonderful um, supernatural running um, that comes from uh, Elijah. He's enabled to run at super speed, so the scriptures tell us, which I think is pretty cool, isn't it? How, Im- how amazing is that? I um, When I was looking at that, I was thinking of... Um, when Ben was talking a couple of weeks ago about um, Philip and the eunuch, and he was giving this uh, kind of illustration of Philip running along, trying to catch up with the chariot and nose in to see what he was reading. Whereas here, Elijah has the ability at super speed to uh, head off and uh, run ahead of him, which I think must be a wonderful gift to have, quite like that myself. But then when we get to chapter 19 the story takes a very, very different shift. And we come from this incredible place of victory. Elijah has shown that God indeed is the God in Israel. But suddenly, after a threat from Jezebel, Elijah runs for his life one minute he's in this incredible moment of victory and the next minute he's afraid for his life and he runs off he goes now perhaps elijah was hoping as a result of God revealing that he indeed is the true God. He is the God that answered by fire, as we looked at last week. Perhaps he was hoping that this would result in a shift, in a change in people's attitudes. But Ahab, as we know from other stories in the Scripture, is a very weak man, and he's totally dominated by Jezebel, who is utterly defiant, and defiant to the end, and she meets a very sticky end, And maybe he thought that there would be a change. Maybe he thought something different would happen. But this threat is made by her and suddenly he's afraid. And he runs for his life. And you know, so often when we do something for God, when we can step out in faith, when we can see great things happening, that can often be when we're then suddenly very vulnerable And it's so important that we pray for people and cover people in prayer when they are going off to do great ventures for the Lord. We always pray for people here when they go off on mission. It was great to do that with Bruce and Anne this morning. But those times can often be vulnerable times after we've made a stand, after we've stepped out. You know, it's really important to pray for people after they've been baptized, after they've made that commitment. Because let's face it, the enemy doesn't like it. He doesn't like it when we show who God is. He doesn't like that. And Elijah suddenly, from this amazing place of victory, and you could say success, suddenly is fearful and running for his life. And it's a really interesting glimpse into him. Um, Last week, I put up the scripture from James where it says, Elijah is a man just like us. And you really see his humanity, I think, in this as he runs and runs and runs. So suddenly, Elijah is now from that amazing moment of victory saying, take my life, I've had enough, I want to die. Quite the extreme. And... I really love how the Lord treats him because the Lord is so tender with him and treats him so carefully. He lets him sleep and then he feeds him. In fact, he supernaturally feeds him. Suddenly, there is bread. He's woken up by an angel and he's fed. And uh, I've written on my notes here profound theological point we need to sleep and we need to eat. It's such a silly... Th- Amen. Thank you, Layla. A darn thing to say, but gosh, we can be so vulnerable, can't we, when we're in places where we're not sleeping and not eating. And I love how God just knows that that's what Elijah needs. He leaves him to sleep and he provides something to eat for him. So Elijah then sets out on quite a long journey, and I don't know how clearly you can see that. Can you see that all right here? So the beginning of the story, we see that he runs ahead um, of Ahab to Jezreel up at the top. Then we, this encounter that he just has uh, with the angel is in Beersheba, and then he takes the journey all the way down to Mount Sinai. Now most... Scholars believe that Mount Sinai and Mount Horeb are the same. So that is the journey. Uh, People, It looks a long way, doesn't it? Um, Apparently it's about (coughs) 260 miles. And there is some debate about did it actually take 40 days and 40 nights, because you can imagine, can't you, that people have done the calculations of how long you can walk in a day and are you going in a straight line and mountains and all the rest of it. And the general consensus is Elijah could have done it quicker. Um, I'm sure if he had his super speed, he would have done it quicker. Um, But 40 days and 40 nights often is more figurative to mean a long time. So Elijah takes this journey all the way down to Mount Sinai, or Horeb, as it's known in the scriptures here. And I really understand why he went there. Because this is the place where God had shown up in the past. This is the place of the burning bush. This is the place where the covenant God was that God made with His people. It was here. And I so get why Elijah wanted to go there. He's afraid, he's vulnerable, and he goes to somewhere where he knows in the past, God has worked. But the thing is, it's not where God told him to go. It isn't where God wanted him to be. In fact, twice he says to him, what are you doing here? And if you look at the other um, accounts of Elijah, you will see quite clearly that God is very specific with Elijah as to where he's to go and where he's to be. And even though God knew he was going to make this journey, he didn't actually tell him to go there. And once he's there, sends him straight back. It's not where God wanted him to be. And you know, it's very easy for us in the midst of challenge and trial, even on the result of a success or a victory, to just go back to what's familiar. And I've, I've, I've known people reach huge victories in their own lives, things that they've overcome, who kind of go and slip back to normal because it's kind of what they've already known. And sometimes it's hard to keep going and to press on. It's that perseverance again of keep looking forward and keep going on, not going backwards, which is what Elijah does. He goes back to, well, I know God has been here, so I'm going to go here. But it isn't where God wants him to be. And I think what happens here is that Elijah has allowed fear to creep in. And when fear comes in, fear changes our perspective. We don't see things in the same way, do we? Fear can totally alter our rationale. Because most fears, let's face it, are irrational. I mean, most people in this room are probably taller than I am. But even I can see how irrational it is for someone my height to be scared of something this big just because it has eight legs. (laughs) I'm not scared of spiders. But goodness me, the reaction I have seen from some people when something that is like a thousand times smaller than they are, not poisonous, can't harm them in any way, runs across the room oh my goodness rationale goes out the window doesn't it i mean some of the fears that people have are quite ridiculous and they're not rational and uh, somebody was telling me the other day that they have come across someone who has a phobia about buttons seriously but these things can be very real to people And the thing with fear is that suddenly you don't see things logically anymore. The fear distorts what is in front of you. And God doesn't want us to stay in those places just to say, and if I'm, just as I've mentioned those examples this morning, it might not be spiders, it might not be buttons, but if you are here and you know you've got a fear of something that isn't rational, it's not the fullness of life that God promises for us. We don't have to live with those fears. We don't have to stay in those fears. And maybe some of you would like prayer for that this morning. I'm sure we can make time for that. But fear can shift our perspective. And that's what happens here to Elijah. Because suddenly, he is saying, I'm the only one left. There's only me. His perspective has kind of gone out the window. Because actually, he isn't the only one left, is he? And he knows he isn't, because in the chapter that we looked at last week, Obadiah says to him, I have hidden a 100 prophets in two caves. That's what I've done. And Elijah knows that. But in the situation, as he's let fear come in, suddenly he's thinking, there's only me. There's just me. And here I am on my own. There's only me. And that's another thing that fear can do, is that it can make us withdraw, and then we isolate ourselves, which is never a good thing to do because we need each other, don't we? We need each other. What a great testimony this morning from home groups saying how important it is that we are together. This beautiful scripture from Hebrews, let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other, and all the more as you see the day approaching. We need each other. And at our times of being most vulnerable, those are the times where we need the company of other Christians around us to encourage us, to build us up, and also to help us with our perspectives. Because if we can allow ourselves to become isolated, then it all becomes about us. And that's what we see with Elijah. Suddenly he's totally forgotten about the fact that there are a hundred other prophets out there. It's just him. And that's all he can see. But God is so gracious with him, isn't he? He's so, so gracious. He doesn't rebuke him. He doesn't rebuke him, but he wants to move him on. He wants to move him on. So we have this passage where God calls him out of the cave he calls him out of the place where he's hiding and says go and stand and wait for me here and then we have these many different ways where signs of nature are all around and of course in the previous chapter we read that God responded by fire that was the thing he did but because he did it then doesn't mean he's going to do it now so we have the wind we have the earthquake and then there is fire, but God isn't in any of those things, and perhaps Elijah was thinking, oh, maybe he'll be in the fire. He came in the fire last time, but no, he's not. He's in the gentle whisper, and I think at that time, Elijah needed a gentle whisper. He needed God to come to him in that way, and I guess the question for us is, do we know the voice of God, Can we recognize God's voice when he speaks to us? Or perhaps have we limited God to only speaking to us in a certain way? Sometimes that can happen. We think, well, last time he spoke to me this way, so that's how he's going to speak to me. But praise God, he can speak to us in a number of ways. Mary was sharing at LAH in the week and she was thanking God for his word and saying, Lord, thank you for your word because through it I can know when you are really speaking to me. When You know how it is when certain passages you just know are for you. Certain conversations you have, you know the Lord is speaking. And it can happen in different ways. And I'm sure all of us here will have different examples of the ways that God has spoken to us in quite unusual ways perhaps. But the important thing is that we know when it's God's voice, and that we don't look to what we've always known, how we think it should be, because here it's the gentle whisper. So God speaks to him. He doesn't tell him off. He doesn't tell him that he shouldn't be afraid. He gives him a fresh call, and a new purpose. He has a new purpose for him. He wants to move him forward. What has happened has happened, but God is still God, and he has a new thing for Elijah to do. There are new kings to be anointed, and there is a new successor to Elijah that Elijah needs to prepare and walk alongside. You know, God is into succession planning. It may be a trendy modern term, but we see it in Jesus' ministry so much. He walked alongside people to prepare them for when he was no longer there. So for us then, we need to step up, step out, step on, and step forward. That's my message for us this morning. So that first one, step up. Are we wavering? Is God God? Are there other things that perhaps will cause us to go one way or another? Step out. How is God prompting you? We looked at these two last week. Is there a person that you need to speak to? Is there a place where God is calling you to go? And let's not let fear stop us from doing these things if there are fears in our life that are holding us back, then that's not allowing God to reign supremely in our lives. So, step on, being persistent, pressing on, keeping going, keeping focusing on God and looking to Him. And then finally, stepping forward. What are the new things that God is calling us to? Who are the people that we need to be spending time with and encouraging? Who are the people who are in our path? Who are our successors? Do we know who they are? So I want to invite us to pray, and we've got a few minutes left, which is good, because I think it would be really good to have a ministry team out, if that's okay. Because there's a lot that's in this story of Elijah for us today. And I particularly feel that some of you know that there are fears in your life that are holding you back. And God wants to move us on. Craig mentioned this morning that we as leaders have this real sense and knowing that God is moving us into a new era. And there could be a danger that we think it looks like something because we go by what we've seen before we expect God to move in a certain way because that's what he did before. But this story of Elijah shows us that God is moving forward. And it's important that we don't think it must be God because it looks this way. But for us, for our own hearts, we need to be totally committed to him, not wavering between two opinions and not letting fear hold us back. So let's pray.